Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. Everyone, welcome to today. It's great to be with you. Now, as you've noticed, I'm coming to you on screen. That's because that can only mean one thing, that I've got COVID. Now, that's because my daughter woke up on Good Friday. Good Friday morning, can you believe? Woke up not feeling well. Rat test, double lines. We're not going anywhere. We're in ISO. For those of you who are quick on maths, you would have worked out by now that, hey, that means you would have been out of ISO by now. So it means I've contracted it as well. And hence coming to you on screen, but it's great that we can still be together. Now, kids, there are a couple of special worksheets in your kids' back today to fill in today as I speak. One sheet has the name Zap on it, running down the page with a blank space after each letter. If you look at the screen, you can see an example of what it looks like. The other sheet has a whole lot of words on it. As you hear the words or phrases, you can colour those in. Now, be careful, though. I'm not going to say every word on your sheet. So you need to listen very carefully. And at the end of the service, go and show your worksheets to the kids' church leaders at the back. I hear they might have a little surprise for you. Now, I want us all to imagine, and kids, you can imagine that you're meeting someone for the first time. Maybe you've gone to school in the morning, you've walked into your classroom, and there's a new person there you've never met before. What might be the first question you would ask them? I reckon it'd be the same question that us adults would ask a new person too. What's your name? Hi, I'm Roger. What's your name? You know, when we meet someone for the first time, there are standard questions we tend to ask, aren't there? You know, what's your name? Or where are you from? Do you live local? Maybe they have an accent. You might ask if they're from another country. Us adults, we tend to ask questions about, you know, what do you do? What, how do you spend your time during the week? We ask these questions because we're starting to get to know the other person. It gives us a platform to ask further questions to get to know them better. In the first two verses of chapter 19, Luke gives us the answers to these basic questions. Let's read verses 1 and 2 in Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. We meet this man named Zach. We find out he lives in Jericho. We hear that he is the chief tax collector and he is very wealthy. I don't know about you, but there's a whole host of questions that come to mind to ask Zach to get to know him better, especially about his line of work. Luke thinks this is enough info for us, but we can understand a bit more about Zach through other sources. You know, we can know a bit more about where Zach lived. Jericho was located in a prime position. Travellers, and therefore merchants and traders, had to pass through Jericho to enter into Judea. We know the plains around Jericho were fertile, and there was a palace located in Jericho too. I'm imagining the opportunity for tax income was quite extensive in that region. We can know a bit more about Zach's work. Now, the Romans decided how much each district had to pay in taxes. The task of collecting the taxes was commonly auctioned off, and the highest bidder, the winner, then set about collecting the required tax. 
but it isn't just the tax they collect. They also need to recoup the cost of their winning bid. And then, like any business person, they want to make a profit. Now, as we've seen, Jericho is a lucrative region, so you can imagine the bidding may have been quite fierce to win the right to the region. Whatever the amount Zach paid, he's going to make sure he gets that back, plus extra for profit. Who pays for all this? The small business owner, the farmer, the merchant, the trader, the ordinary citizen of Jericho. Not only are they paying the hated tax to the hated Romans, but they also have to cover what Zach paid to win the position of chief tax collector, and also cover whatever profit he's decided he wants for himself. Now we have to understand something about how this system worked. If the Romans didn't get their tax amount, they could sell Zach's possessions. They could throw him in prison. They could even sell Zach and his family as slaves to ensure they got their money. As chief tax collector, Zach probably would not have collected the money himself, but had tax officials under him who themselves had bid to Zach to collect the taxes. If they didn't come up with the required amount of money, no doubt Zach would have applied the same penalties to them, confiscation of their goods or selling them into slavery. It was a ruthless system, and Zach, he sat on top of the pile in Jericho. And we can also know a bit more about Zach's status in the community. Now, this made Zach very wealthy and very powerful. Zach had influence in the region of Jericho. You can be sure the rich, the powerful, and the merchants knew exactly who Zach was. You wouldn't want to get on his bad side. It also made Zach very unpopular. He would have been despised and shunned as a traitor to his people. First of all, for working with the Romans. And secondly, everyone would have seen his wealth and known it was their money that had made him rich. Not only were they paying the Roman tax, but they were paying to line Zach's own pockets. Other Jewish sources tell us that tax collectors were infamous for their immoral character. They were often compared to robbers and so could not be trusted. Do we feel like we know Zach a little more now? He lives in a prosperous region, thriving with trade, which makes the tax business quite lucrative. Zach has bid his way to the top and is now under pressure to deliver to the Romans, recoup his costs and make himself some profit. He is powerful and influential, potentially ruthless and despised by everyone, considered a crook and generally immoral. That he is wealthy tells us he probably deserves that reputation. I wonder who might be the Zacchaeus equivalent to you today? Fortunately, employees of the tax office are generally no longer seen this way. But there has been a big erosion of trust. Studies in the last 15 years have shown that erosion of trust has occurred in both governments and institutions. Maybe you're Zacchaeus. Those you see as immoral, crooked and generally untrustworthy are politicians. You know, the church, not just in the last 15 years, but over a number of decades, has seen a big erosion of trust as an institution. Or some other public institution. Or what even about a work colleague or a neighbour? Who do you see the same as the people of Jericho saw Zach? 
So what happens when Jesus arrives in Jericho is quite surprising. Let's read on from verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. What on earth is going on? Why is Zach climbing a tree to see Jesus? I remember one time before kids, Michelle and I went to Brisbane to visit family. Both of us had family in Brisbane at the time, and Michelle's uncle had recently retired from a senior executive position in a, a global multinational company. While we were there, he offered to take us to an NBL basketball game between Brisbane Bullets, of course, we were in Brisbane, but the 36ers were playing an away game there. Now, this wasn't a case of him paying for us. This was a case of make a few calls and we're in. However, when we entered the stadium, we were shown to seats right up in the boondocks. I mean, the back corner of the stadium, you couldn't get any further away from the court. I didn't care. I was seeing an NBL game for free. That was good enough for me. I remember we sat down, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw Michelle's uncle pull out his phone and make a call. About two minutes later, an usher comes and takes us to some new seats. You know... Just corporate box seats, one row back from courtside? I was gobsmacked. First, that we had such awesome seats. Second, I hadn't paid for them. And third, the influence Michelle's uncle had in one phone call. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, if someone has as much power and influence in a region as Zach does, just make a few calls. Get your people to contact Jesus' people and set up a meeting. Pull a few strings. Make a few threats about increasing taxes if you have to. Whatever you need to do, just make it happen. Well, obviously that hasn't occurred. So Zach goes out to see Jesus in the street. Again, you've got power, you've got influence. You don't stand at the back where you can't see. Just like Michelle's uncle wasn't going to settle for the furthest seats from the court. But Zach couldn't get through the crowds to the front. We know he was short, but come on, Zach, really? With who you are, you can't get to the front? Make no mistake, this wasn't a case of Smidzy. Now, have you ever heard of Smidzy before? Do you know what that acronym stands for? Chances are, if you do know it, you've probably been a cyclist at some point in your life. Smidzy stands for, sorry, mate, didn't see you. No, this wasn't a case for Zach of, sorry mate, didn't see you. This was a case of, we despise you and don't care how rich and powerful you might be. Out here on the street, Zach, you are nothing, nothing, and we choose not to see you. I wonder if any here today or you listening online can relate to Zach in this. You've experienced others choosing to not see you. And so you are excluded. Is there a broken relationship where it is as if you are dead to the other person? Perhaps even you are the one choosing not to see the other person. In this story, you actually don't identify with Zach, but you identify with the crowd. I'm going to return to Zach, but I don't want to miss that God may be challenging some today about how you are seeing or choosing not to see 
another. For those identifying with Zach, what emotions arise within you as you remember the pain of being unseen, the pain of being excluded? Well, let me encourage you. This isn't the end of the story. Keep listening in. Now, as we continue, there are four points I think we can learn from Zach. The first one is this, and this, kids, is where you might want to grab that first worksheet out. The letter Z for Zach stands for zealous. Zach is zealous in his desire to see Jesus. Now, kids, do you know what zealous means? It means to be eager, enthusiastic, passionate or intense. It means Zach doesn't give up. It means Zach is absolutely determined to see Jesus. He hasn't been able to set up a meeting with Jesus. The crowd has deliberately excluded him and prevented him from getting close. But he is not put off. He is not discouraged. In fact, he is prepared to go to any length to see Jesus. And so we find Zach, with most of Jericho knowing of his wealth and influence, dressed in his expensive clothing that obviously tells the visitor to Jericho who may not know who he is, that he has money and lots of it. And we find Zach climbing a tree. Yes, I'd say Zach is zealous to see Jesus. There is a longing within Zach so intense that nothing will put him off. I wonder if there are any here today who are longing to see Jesus. For reasons you may not even know yourself, there is a deep desire to even just catch a glimpse of him. Well, let me ask you a question. How far are you prepared to go to see Jesus? How zealous will you be in seeking him out? The second point that we learn from Zach, and the letter A in his name, is Zach accepts Jesus' request. Keep reading from verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Zach had such a burning desire to see Jesus. But it is Jesus who stops and sees Zach. And wonder of wonders, Jesus calls him by name. For those of you who are carrying pain of being unseen, this is your encouragement. Jesus sees you. He sees you because you are worth seeing. And more than that, Jesus knows your name and calls you by name. Jesus calls Zach's name. And Zach accepts Jesus' call. But also note how he accepts it. He quickly climbed down. The NIV says he came down at once. But more than that, he came down at once with great excitement and joy. Now, Zach faced a choice, and we all face a choice when Jesus calls to us. We can accept Jesus' call in obedience or reject it. We might rationalise our rejection by saying, I'm not rejecting it, I'm just temporarily ignoring it, or I'm just not ready right now. But I love Zach's response. He accepted immediately and with great joy and excitement. I admit there have been times where I have not accepted Jesus' call to me straight away. 
for one reason or another that seems perfectly valid and justifiable to me at the time, I have delayed accepting. But let's call a spade a spade. If we don't accept Jesus' call immediately, we are rejecting Jesus' call. When was the last time you heard Jesus call your name? Now perhaps it was being prompted to more. It was to step out in faith or a challenge to grow. Perhaps it was an invitation to know him more. How did you respond to that call? And do you sense Jesus calling you right now? Now, Zach, he's been zealous to see Jesus. And he has accepted Jesus' call. The third thing we learn from Zach, and the first C in his name, is confession. Zach responds with confession. You know, we don't know exactly what happened in the interaction between Jesus and Zach over lunch. What we do see are the results of it. Verses 7 and 8. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Now, I use the word confession in two senses here. Zach confesses his sin of greed and cheating and lying as he repents of his sin. Zach also confesses Jesus is Lord. Look, Lord, he says. Now, this is a great start, acknowledging Jesus' lordship in our lives. But faith is not just an intellectual affirmation. Faith is an action. Faith responds to conviction and confession by following Jesus in action. Zach demonstrates true faith as he stands up publicly and declares he will give away half his wealth and pay restitution to those he has cheated. And this isn't just repaying what he has cheated, but repaying above and beyond. The Jewish law required repayment of the original amount, plus an extra 10, uh, 20%. Well, Zach promises to repay the original amount, plus an extra 300%. I want you to imagine, just imagine, giving away half your house. Half your motor vehicles, half your super, half of your bank balance. Kids, what about giving away half your toys or half your games? Yeah, something significant and transformational has happened in Zach, and it is evidenced by his real and tangible actions. And what does it mean for us to confess Jesus is Lord? Now, if Jesus is Lord of my life, and Lord of your life, as we so easily speak out with our mouths, then what does that look like in action? What does it look like in action on a daily basis, not just as a once-off? Perhaps today, Jesus is calling you to confess him as Lord for the first time ever in your life. Repentance means turning away from our own self-directed life and doing things our way, and turning toward God to have a God-directed life and doing things his way. And then we see Jesus responds to Zach's repentance and confession of faith. Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house. What an incredible statement, an affirmation of the transformation that has occurred in Zach's life. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus then follows this statement with another radical one, which brings us to our final point today. 
So we've seen Zach has been zealous. He has accepted Jesus' call. And he has responded to Jesus with confession. Confession of his sin and confession that Jesus is Lord. And now we see community. The final C in Zach's name. Zach was restored to community. Verses 9 and 10. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now salvation has both a, a vertical element and a horizontal element. Zach is not only restored to God, but restored socially too. Just as the crowd prohibited Zach from coming to Jesus, so Zach would have been ostracised from other Jewish social events and customs. Zach was viewed as an outcast. His rejection so complete, he may well no longer have been considered Jewish by his fellow Jews. Jesus changes this. He restores Zach socially, bringing him back into community. Salvation is both spiritual and communal wholeness. Zach's wealth, Zach's power, his influence, none of that could provide Zach with dignity and value or restore him to community. Only Jesus could bring a whole of life restoration to Zach. You know, nothing has changed in 2,000 years since Jesus met Zach on a dusty street in Jericho. Our wealth, our power, our influence still cannot restore our relationship with God, restore relationship with others, or even restore our relationship with ourselves. Only Jesus can bring relational and spiritual wholeness and affirm your and my value as a person made in the image of God. Now kids, if you've missed any words that go against the letters of Zach's name, have a look at the screen now as they pop up there. You know, Zach, Zed, zealous to see Jesus. A, Zach accepts Jesus' call. C, confesses. Zach confesses his sin and confesses Jesus is Lord. And community. Zach is restored to community. I wonder where you might relate to Zach in your life. As we just have a time of prayer now, I invite people to, to just sit before God and allow God by His Spirit to speak into your life and into your heart. I wonder where you might relate to Zach in your life. You know, is there something that you're letting stop you from seeing Jesus? Zach didn't let anything stop him. Now, how did you respond to God the last time he called your name? The last time he, he prompted you and called you to something? I wonder even if God is calling to you now for the first time. This is the first time today that you've heard God call your name. What does confession mean for you today? Is there sin in your life that you need to lay down and hand over to God? Or confession of Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is Lord of your life, then what does that mean for you on a day-to-day -day basis? And do you need relational restoration? As we just sit before God, what is it that God has spoken into your heart today? You know, Zach, he was prepared to go to any length to see Jesus. 
he was prepared to go and, and climb a tree. Now, I'm not going to ask you to climb a tree, but I want to call us today. I want to call us to something, to, to, to an expression that we're not going to let anything get in the way of responding to God. And so I want to call us, as, a, as part of our response today, to come to the front. If God is speaking to you in, in any way in your heart, in your life today, challenging you, encouraging you, convicting you, then I, I ask you to come to the front to respond. As I said, Zach was prepared to climb a tree to lose whatever scrap of social dignity was remaining to him to see Jesus. There's no loss of dignity in coming to the front and standing before Jesus as he calls your name. You know, for those of you, you've never confessed Jesus is Lord before. I ask you to, to just follow along with me. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if, if that's what you'd like to do, if you would like to uh, confess that first C in Zach's name. You'd like to confess your sin and confess Jesus is Lord of your life. Then just follow along in your heart uh, this prayer as I pray it. And for those of you who are online, um, you click uh, request prayer now and, and you can connect with um, someone there and they can pray with you as well. But just as we're in this time now, I'm just going to pray a prayer. Just follow along with me if that's what you'd like to do. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you see me. Thank you that you know me. Thank you that you value me. And we've just seen that in the week gone with Easter, that you died for me. And you rose again to new life. And that means forgiveness of sins and that we can be restored back into relationship with you and relationship with those around us. Jesus, I confess. I confess my sin. I confess that I've been doing life my way. And I turn to you, God. Turn to you, Jesus. And say, I want to have a life directed by you. And I confess that you are Lord. You are Lord of my life. Jesus is Lord. And your resurrection last Sunday confirmed that. We thank you so much, Jesus, that you see me.